You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, my name's Ryan, and I serve as the lead pastor of the church. For those of you that are new, glad that you're with us. Uh, Before we get started in today's message, which is going to be a special one, I got my dad flew in town from Little Rock, Arkansas, a Christian psychiatrist, and he's trimmed up his beard. So... He doesn't, doesn't, doesn't quite play the Duck Dynasty role that I was hoping he'd play for you, uh, but uh, he's, he's going to be with us today. So um, today's message is on uh, depression, and so I want to encourage you. First of all, I need to let you know that, man, you're at a safe place. Uh, we're going to teach about God's Word and what it has to say about that. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you have questions as we're going through the message, that you would write those down. And then after my message today, you're going to be able to ask, get your questions answered here in the service today. First service, there was a bunch of people that had questions towards the very end of our time. So don't delay. I want to encourage you to ask those right away. Before we get started, though, I want to encourage you to be a part next week. We're going to be tar- starting a brand new message series called Face Change, Facing Change. Everybody in life goes through changes, and uh, we're going to talk about the change that happens as a Christian growing in our faith. It's called sanctification, and then we're going to be talking about what it looks like to change in the the home when uh, for Mother's Day, for parenting and all that good stuff. And then the last week of the series is going to be a change in the church. And on that Sunday, I'm going to share with you and highlight uh, new ministry leaders on our team at, at our church. And then also we're going to be celebrating Pastor Jonathan and Meredith as they're moving down to Dallas uh, to finish up their PhD work, and it'll be Dr. Seaborn. So um, we're praying that he'll come right back to Phoenix and get, get a job at Phoenix Seminary and still be part of our church after a couple of years. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get started in today's message. Heavenly Father, I thank you for North Valley. I thank you for the homes and the hearts of everybody here that you called them here, you've uh, working in their life, and that you want them to know you and to follow after you so that they might experience you and live all the life that you've called them to live. Pray now in, the t- in this time, we just invite your Holy Spirit to minister to us and through us as we open your word. We give you thanks for the hope in the healing that we find through the power and the presence of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, this morning, what I want to do before we get started is I want to tell you a little bit about my journey. This topic of depression is real, uh, even for me. If I was to preach this message uh, five years ago, I wouldn't have the empathy to be able to tell you about this topic. See, a few years ago, um, I had hit the lowest point of my life. For the first time in my life, I, laid, I would lay down on my bed, and when I would wake in the morning, just after a few hours of sleep, there was a period of time for about three to four weeks in a row where I had never been like this before, where I would say things like this to my wife, today, I don't want to get out of bed. Today, I don't really want to go to work. Today, I don't really feel like doing anything Today. And she said it was a period of week after week after week. What had happened was this. One, I was going through an incredible pain. I had chronic pain in my back that was going down into, I had sciatica, a numbing pain on my foot where every few minutes as I would walk through the day, I'd have to stomp my foot to see if it was really still there. It was so painful, the pain I was experiencing, I had problems concentrating and it was a period of time for about two years of chronic pain. 
as a result of that pain that I was going through, I couldn't sleep at night. I went for about two years straight of sleeping about three to four hours of sleep a night. How many of you guys have ever been there before, struggled with your sleep? That is one of the hardest things to make it through. When you're dealing with insomnia, it is so challenging emotionally, physically, spiritually. It just is very difficult. So I had gone through a cycle. We had planted a church. We had adopted a precious little girl named Maya into our family. I'd experienced loss. Friends and family members pass away. And I was struggling with my expectations on the church. I had never planted a church before. I'd never lived in Phoenix, Arizona before. And in that first 18 to 24 months, everything seemed to come falling down. And I reached out and I called a pastor friend of mine down in Texas that I worked with in the past. And I said, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I don't want to get out of bed. And he said, how long has this been going on? He said, I said, three, four weeks at this feeling of wanting to quit. I was burned out emotionally, physically. Um, and I reached out to my dad. My dad's a Christian psychiatrist. And he said, son, worst words I'd ever heard. He said, son, I think you're depressed. And I said, no, I can't be depressed. There's nothing wrong in my life. He said, son, you need to get help. And so for the first time in my life, I reached out to get help in an area that I was ashamed to. And I just want to tell you today that uh, depression is real. And uh, by God's grace, over the last several years, I sleep great, six to eight hours of sleep every night. There'll be an episode every once in a while where I'll bounce up at 2.30 in the morning just because I'm excited and I can't sleep because I've got so many ideas. But by God's grace, I've been walking through, through this. But it was a period of time. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to highlight this, is that depression is, is real, and it's in today's culture. There's 6 million Americans that have experienced one major episode of what could be called clinical depression. One out of 10 Americans will experience depression in their lifetime. They might not like to call it clinical, but it is a, a depression. It's interesting is that the research shows that more females are depressed more than males. I don't think that's true though. Here's the reality. Men just don't want to admit it and acknowledge it or go get help. And so they hide in the shadows of despair and discouragement and depression for way too long. A hundred percent of us will experience what I'm going to call extended seasons of sadness. It just takes a loss of a loved one. It takes a loss of a job. It takes a financial hardship where you go through a season of sadness. A hundred percent of us will experience that. It could be the loss of a child. It could be a divorce. It could be some kind of incredible setback that you weren't planning on. And so here's what I want to tell you. In North Valley, we want you to know that the struggle is real. The struggle is real for everybody. There's no superhuman the only superhuman ever was, was Jesus, 100% man and 100% God. You and me, as a result of the fall, sin entering the world has fractured everything. And so everything is not as it could be. It is as it is. And the Lord promises in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the brokenness, he's there to help us. And we see glimpses of God's kingdom, but the kingdom has not yet fully come. When Jesus returns, we'll see the totality of his original design, the harmony within all people and all things. So the struggle is real. The Apostle Paul 
says this. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul talks about his affliction, his pain, his struggle. He says, we are afflicted. He's talking about the Christians. He's talking about the new Christians in a pagan world in the Roman Empire. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. There's an ounce of hope in that right there. He's saying, we're not crushed. He says, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Things are perplexing, but they're not in despair. They're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you and me is that he's affirming pain and hurt and hardship, discouragement and depression. He's trying to tell you and me that there's hope in the midst of anything that you're going through. That there's this resurrection power. The Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in every single believer. And so Paul affirms the pain and Jesus tells us that there's going to be trouble. In John 16, Jesus said this to his disciples in what's been called the farewell discourse. On his way to the cross, he had a very important message to equip and encourage and empower his followers, the disciples, to understand what they were going to be going through, the trials they would face, the troubles they would face, the persecution they would face, the martyrdom that they would face. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. It's only through Christ that you're going to really find your peace. You can go to a doctor, but still you're going to have a, a, a war with inside of you until you find the Prince of Peace. He says, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you know that there are examples within biblical history and church history of all sorts of individuals that have struggled with incredible amounts of discouragement and specifically depression? The King David, the psalmist, he had committed, he had lusted after his, a neighbor and had the girl brought over to his house, had an affair with her, committed adultery. And then in efforts to cover it up, King David, what he did, he wasn't a young man. He was a very mature man. He shouldn't have been doing this. Committed the affair, had the adulterous relationship. And then in order to cover it up, has her husband killed. And then tries to cover that up. And through all that, we see his incredible discouragement as you read through the Psalms of his discouragement and depression. You see guys like Elijah after they, the, the great prophet who... Uh, overcame uh, the prophets of Baal and had these incredible spiritual victories, success and triumph. And then in fear of what would happen and the retaliation of these enemies of his, he runs in the desert for days and exhausts himself physically, finds himself in a cave and says things like, God, just take my life. I don't want to live anymore. You have guys in the Bible like Jonah, who was a prophet to Nineveh, who said that he, he, he didn't want to go in the first place to Nineveh to preach a message of repentance. Then he goes and he's faithful to it. And then God shows mercy and Jonah gets bitter. He doesn't get better. And he says things like, God, I wish you'd just take my life. He sounds very suicidal, very depressed person. Then you got guys in the scripture like Job or Moses or Jeremiah. Then you even have Jesus in his moment of despair in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's facing the cross. And the Bible says that he sweat, his anxiety was so high that his stress was so enormous that he sweat droplets of blood out of his body. Today, when we get so stressed out, we can get ulcers that we bleed within. 
Christ's stress was so enormous that he literally sweat droplets of blood. Within church history, you see guys like John Wesley, who had a difficult marriage and was recorded his depression and discouragement. Or Martin Luther, the great reformer, who went from high highs to low lows. Or Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great, the prince of preachers in London, who would write about uh, causeless uh, moments of depression where he would cry uncontrollably. These are godly individuals, characters within biblical and Christian history that all had depression, all struggled with what I would call extended seasons of sadness. So the question comes for you and me is how do we overcome this? The first thing I want to encourage you is that you need to identify the cause. Psalms 43.5, the psalmist says this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? The psalmist is searching and seeking. He's asking a question, what's wrong? Sometimes we need to ask the question, what's wrong? But sometimes we also might need to ask the question, what happened? What happened? What happened with the psalmist David is, is that he had committed adultery. He had committed murder. And he's asking the Lord to search his heart. He says this, he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is a Christian man who's trying to identify the cause of his discouragement, his season of sadness and his depression. King David also said this in Psalms 33, 32, three through four. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, the Hebrew word is to pause and to refrain. refrain. Think about that. I mean, you know, the summer is coming here in Phoenix. It gets really hot and we all go inside. Summer kind of can slow things down for us. My encouragement to you is to even think about this. You think of godly men and godly characters throughout the scripture. And when they talk about their discouragement, specifically the psalmist David here, he had committed an affair. He'd had an adulterous relationship. He, he, he is guilty of murder. And he's not confessing his sins yet. And he says this, when I did that, I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When you are in trouble, when you have violated God's commands and God's creeds, and what you're doing is, is you are invoking upon yourself problems and trials and trouble. And the psalmist does that. What I want to do is I want to help you identify the cause. There's a physical cause. There's four, there's a, a four different causes right here. There's a physical cause, a cognitive cause, a spiritual cause, and loss. What the psalmist specifically was struggling with was a number of things, but spiritually, he had sinned against God. He had broken God's um, word and God's ways. When you do that, you're going to find yourself in incredible turmoil and trial. Some of you, though, maybe you have a, a physical challenge. Maybe like me, there's a chronic pain that's in your life. Maybe like me, you can't get sleep at night. Physically, your body is exhausting itself. And you'll run on what's called adrenaline within your body for so long. But over running for years like that, you will burn out. 
and you will deplete healthy and godly right chemicals within your body and you will be rendered utterly depressed. And God uses people, he uses doctors, he uses pastors and counselors to help restore and redeem. Some of you have gone through significant physical challenges where maybe chemically uh, you have, you're, 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 you're struggling for whatever reason, genetically or whatever be the case, is that there's a physical challenge or chemical imbalance in your body. When we go, when we break our foot, we go to the foot doctor. When we break our hand, we go to the hand doctor. When something's broken or hurt within the mind, why do we get so afraid to go to that doctor? Um, I need you to know God loves you. I need you to know that depression is not necessarily a sin. Depression is a signal that something's wrong. And it's one of these things. It could be physical. It could be cognitive. Cognitive is what I call stinking thinking where you just don't think right. You're thinking terrible things all the time. Everybody's against you. Nobody likes you. Everybody's, the world is against you. Cognitive is a cause where people just have incredible negative amounts of thinking. What we learned about, the Apostle Paul tells us to set our mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. So there is a mindset that is critical here too. What could have you depressed is cognitive challenge where you're constantly thinking the wrong thoughts, filling your mind with television shows, magazines, the worldly things that aren't good or godly necessarily, and not all those things are bad, but you're not filling your mind with truth. You're not filling your mind with things that are, that are, that are Christian, that are helped to uplift, to inspire, to help reveal areas of sin in your life so you can confess and take out the trash and begin to move back with the Lord and restore and redeem things in your life. There's also spiritual. Spiritually, if you're sinning against God and you're living in sin, you're going to be depressed. Your spiritual sin, the Bible says that sin leads to what? Death. Before it gets to death, it oftentimes goes to depression. What does the Satan want to do? Satan wants to take you out. Whispers things like this into your ear when you're discouraged and you're in spiritual opposition against God. You're nobody. Nobody likes you. You're, you're, you're better off alone. You're unworthy. You're unlovable. Take your life. About two, just a couple of weeks ago, I got a message from a friend and uh, he said, hey, I just want you to know Sean took his life. Sean was a kid in my youth group back in Texas. And I reached out to Sean year after year after year. And, uh, you know, it's Generation Z. Uh, he's, he's 19 years old now. And it's a generation that grew up on electronics. And they, they were the most connected kids in the world electronically and the most disconnected kids in the world socially. And Sean never had the appropriate relationships in his life and constantly isolated, constantly uh, pulled back because he was addicted to media. Um, this is a real deal, identifying the cause, cognitive, spiritual, and then loss. Some of you have lost a loved one, maybe a child, maybe a, maybe a loss of a relationship, gone through a divorce. These are all causes, real causes for depression. So my encouragement to you is to learn how to, with life, learn how to operate with what I'm going to call, 
an open hand, hold things very loosely. If God chooses to take one of my kids home, that'll be the test for me. Or if God forbid I get sick or somebody I love is gone. My faith tells me that I need to trust God in all circumstances. My faith tells me that I need to believe that at the end of the day, God's going to work all things together for the good for those who love Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul had a great perception and an understanding of attachment and detachment to the Christian life. Most of us are overly attached to people and overly attached to things. Christianity doesn't teach that you need to be detached from people and completely detached from things, but Christianity does teach us that we are way overly attached. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says this in Philippians 3.8. He says, for his sake, that's Christ's sake. That's the Lord's sake. That's the resurrected Jesus' sake. He says, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. To be Christian means you lose a lot of things. You are an enemy of Rome. You're an outsider. You don't fit in. The Apostle Paul says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The Apostle Paul had lost his prestige. He wasn't just some powerfully elite of uh, Pharisee, a leader. He lost his position. He had lost his privileges. And he says this, that he counts them as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ. See, when I became a Christian, I had to lose my friends because they weren't worth having because they would drag me down and they wanted me to uh, return or leave the life of Christianity. I lost my friends. I lost my girlfriend. I lost my life. I lost it. But what does Jesus say? If anybody wants to follow me, he must lose his life in order that they may gain their life. Friends, I got to tell you something. We always come out ahead no matter what we lose if we trust Christ. We always come out ahead. There's far more greater ground to gain in a relationship with Christ. And anything that you lose in life, you can understand and believe that we have a good father, a good shepherd that's navigating us through these challenges and saying, I'm going to give you far more than you've lost. But loss is real. So my encouragement to you is secondly, is I want to encourage you to overcome depression is embrace the depression. Don't escape it. Embrace it. Psalmist David paints uh, our heavenly father as a good shepherd and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, you have a heavenly father that's a good shepherd. No matter where you go through, no matter how deep that valley is of despair and discouragement, you have a good shepherd that's, he's present. He's right there in the middle of that depression with you. When I was on my bed and in the morning and I said, I don't want to get out of bed today, I had a sense of fragility and a sense of humbleness and a sense of brokenness that I had not experienced in years before. And I would call out on the Lord in those times, in those 2.30 a.m. wake-up times in the, mor- in the morning and say, Lord, I can't go to sleep. And in the middle of that, I found his presence. You have a good shepherd that goes through the valley with you. He doesn't want you to build a bridge and bypass it. He wants you to walk through that valley. 
He's not only with you and present, he's also gonna protect you. He wants to protect you. If you draw near to the Lord, he will protect you. He'll send the Holy Spirit to whisper in your ear when you hear the lies of the enemy that says you're unworthy, you're unlovable, nobody likes you, run away from God. Christianity is a sham. The Holy Spirit whispers, God loves you. He covers all shame. Grace is abundant. There is forgiveness. There is mercy. Don't give up. Don't give up. And that will save your life. That will save your marriage. That will save you. The shepherd is with us. So how do you respond to depression? There's a couple of different ways that people typically respond to depression. So here's what I'd like to do is there's a normal way where you experience loss. Say you lose your job. Well, you ought to go low. You ought to feel bad. That's normal. Normal is going to take time to go through this. You lose a loved one. You lose a child. You go through a divorce. It's going to be hard. My encouragement to you is embrace the depression. Don't try to escape the depression. Feel the pain. Feel you're human. H-U-M-A-N. You're not just divine without being made human. You're human. So you'll go through a loss and that's a normal experience. How long this time is varies on the magnitude of what happened. That's a normal response. It's just like this. This is a pain and it'll take time before you heal. You're hurt and then you'll heal. If I cut my hand, it will over time it will form a scab and then it will, the body will heal. And then I'll have a scar. And then I can look back on that scar and I will forget about that pain because I, my body has healed. In the same way, when you go through a depression or go through some major loss in your life, there'll be a valley, a low, a time of hurt, but it's also a time of healing. And some of the most fruitful times of your spiritual life will oftentimes be in these valleys. If you think about where the valley, uh, where the fruit grows in our world, it's in the valleys. It's not on the mountains. So this is a normal response to what I would call depression. Then there's also the response where it's a spiral effect, where you have a significant loss. Say you, you lose a job and you start to feel really discouraged. And as you're going down, instead of allowing the natural process of uh, uh, depression happen in your life, you start to have these bad thoughts like, well, if I lost my job, then that means nobody loves me and nobody likes me, that I'm just not a good person. It's kind of this negative triad effect where you just kind of start spiraling out of control. And then you have a second thought that says, not only do I not like myself, nobody likes me. And then you kind of go further and say, you know what? The whole world is against me. My encouragement to you when you go through something like that is put a time limit on your depression. Put a time limit on it. You realize that you've got to put a time limit on it and say, you know, I mean, you could have one bad experience and say you, say you lose a job. Well, I know that this is a natural process of hurt and pain. But I'm going to put a time limit on it and I'm going to get help in the process. This is where you can spiral out of control. Another one is, 
where I think that's important to realize is that what I call denial. And this is where you go through a significant loss. Say you lose your marriage. It's gone. Got our divorce. If you were here last week, I talked about biblical reasons for marriage and uh, unbiblical or uh, divorce and remarriage, adultery, all that stuff. It's interesting. You know, the church is funny. Everybody wants to know this stuff. So I've, we've seen higher attendance in this time frame. You guys are wanting to hear this stuff, which is great. And I'm trying to help you understand what the Bible has to say about it. But say you go through a divorce, you lose your spouse, you should feel a sudden drop off in your emotions and your feelings. Because the Bible says that when the two become one and then you get a divorce, it's like ripping a piece of your heart and soul away from each other. It's hard. It's very painful. My encouragement to you is embrace the depression. Embrace the hardship. Embrace that. Why? So that you can heal. So that you can process. So that you can get the deep questions in your life answered like, would anybody love me? So you go through issues of identity and you let the Lord and you let his word and you let the Holy Spirit and you let other Christians help encourage you in that process. What happens, say you go through a divorce, instead of dealing with it and healing with it, you build a bridge of denial. And you act like everything's fine. And so what can happen is oftentimes is people that go through a divorce or some big breakup is they can go out to the single bars and just try to pick up their relationship. It's been called a rebound relationship. I encourage couples if they get a divorce is don't date for at least a year. Or just take time to heal, to go through that process. Or if you lost somebody in your life that's really close, take time. You can't replace those people. Feel the pain, feel the loss, and walk through it. What happens, though, in this bridge of denial, if you keep running that out, eventually it's going to run out, and you're going to drop, and you're going to hit rock bottom. So what does the Lord want to do? The Lord wants to walk through the pain, through the hurt, to help you and heal you. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite up my dad to be a part of this uh, Q&A time. And so would you guys welcome Dr. Robert Rice to the stage? Good morning, yeah, North Dad. Valley. Yeah, Man, he, I tell you, it's been great to come over the years and see how God's been faithful in building this community. Uh, I'll give you two quick pearls. Don't remember anything else. You already got some treatment for mental health. We sang two songs this morning that talked about shame. Heaven's love came down and wrapped my shame. That's the power of healing. Therapy, neighborhood groups, it's right here, about doing life. I mean, how do we do life? I mean, if, if there's one thing that Satan wants to do is isolate us off. Hey, I'm all about online church, this and that and everything. But neglecting to meet together is the habit of some. I mean, that's going to be death to us as an individual. We have to be connected. You know, so... Uh, just great to be with you here this morning. And uh, you've been doing uh, Christian psychiatry, so that means you, do, you you got a theological education, did at Dallas, and then you've been and then uh, 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 went through med school. You've been doing Christian psychiatry for thirty years. Yeah, took me a long way to 
God had a path. <laughs> and uh, people ask me, what's it like being a, a, a son of a psychiatrist? And I always just kind of tease them. And I say, well, my dad tells me to lay down on the couch, prop your feet up, and let's talk about that. That's actually not his form of therapy for me. It was get in the field. We got to build a fence. We'll talk about it out there. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. So, um, but questions that you guys have, our first service asked a ton of questions towards the end. I've got some questions that were written out, but I want to start with you guys. If you would raise your hand and maybe a question that you may have right over here. So dad, in you, um, in the first service, you talked about, I'm going to, um, I guess we'll get to it in a minute. Here, here she is right over here. So my question is, when you're going through that normal depression cycle and you have event after event after event mm. that continues to stop right. you from climbing back out, how do you manage without putting some of it on the back burner so you can continue to function on a daily basis because right. I can't shut down and I need to still heal. But in order to embrace that, I can't function at that time. Right. I have to get up and I have to do what I have to do. And I don't know really what the answer is to that. Right. That's a great, that's a great question. And, and, you know, could you hear the sense of despair at event after event after event? You know, in medicine, all illnesses break down into three aspects of illness. We have an aspect of our choices, our response to the environment, event after event, and we have neurogenetics. And what so many of us, particularly in our Western culture, whether we're talking about heart disease, diabetes, or depression, we want the doctor to give a little brown bottle of pills and not deal with our choices, not deal with the response to the environment, just double my medicine. If the event doubles, double my medicine. If the event triples, triple my medicine. What God wants us to do, and this is, this is not we're doing church on Sunday, and then we go to our therapist and doctor on Tuesday. This is about living life, because the reality is life sucks and life's unfair. That was one of the mantras I taught my children from the time they listened to me that life is unfair. We can either stay stuck as a victim or rise to the victorious living through Christ. I mean, that, 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 that's that aspect of heaven's love wraps our shame. So back to the question, how do I deal with event after event? That's where in the sense of my choices and my response to the environment, I cannot do it alone. This idea of self-help and self-will, one of the goals in our clinic is looking at the option of dying to self. Self has to get smaller and the cross has to get bigger. There's no other way around that, folks. I mean, if you're going to do life, we c I cannot do it. I'm discouraged. I feel shame. I feel like a failure. Once again, that's where that neighborhood group or small group or however you want to call it locks arms and does life together we can't get enough power just you know by ourselves on sunday reading the scripture i'm not saying it couldn't happen but god calls us together as community to do life mm. so when i'm broken 
Yeah, I dive into the scripture and the Psalms, just speaks to my soul. I love Christian worship music. I love the outdoors and experience God's life. But what does life for me is a group of about this many people that we've been in small group, probably close to 20, 25, maybe 30 years. In fact, two of our group members have married two of our children. It's about doing life. We cannot do it alone. Mm-hmm. So That's good. Okay, other questions you guys might have? There you go. I think it's very important. I think, and just as a pastor responding back to your question is, is what you, you, can, you can do only what you can do. And what you can do is you can make the choices to say, the pain is real, the struggle is real, and I need you to know as a pastor, you're in a safe place where we care enough about the honesty and the vulnerability that you can process your hurt, process your pain, and we're going to come around you and not say, We'll just get over it and believe bigger. You know, we're going to walk with you through it and then say, but you do want to make some distinctive choices to say, these are the things that help me grow, being a part of a Christian community, uh, trying to reconcile where there's wrong, um, taking some steps if you don't have enough energy to cover it all, letting the church community kind of come around and say, we'll walk with you through this process. So thanks for sharing. Um. I have a million things racing through my mind right now. Um, you mentioned, you know, how the bigger things get, the the more um, events we go through. You know, the double the trouble, the double the medication. I'm kind of curious how you feel about medication. Um, my whole life, I grew up in the church. I knew uh, God was the counselor, and... Um, I was fortunate to have a very wonderful church family in California growing up. That's where I met my husband. And when we moved here to Phoenix, we left all of that. And it was very difficult um, for us to find a church family for years and years. And with my husband's job, I was always going alone with the kids and so on. And it got to a point where I just, I was done with it all. I was... um, dealing with a lot of depression and I was told especially by specific loved ones um, that I should not feel that way at all so to hear you say that this is something that even happens to Christians was huge to hear today Um, it it gives me some confirmation that I'm you know I shouldn't be shamed of what I went through Um, Things are a lot better now, found a church family, but for a while there I was told um, by a lot of people, you should try medication. And I really didn't want to do that, but after being pushed and prodded for so long because I'm crazy, um, I went ahead and did it. And for five years I was on um, some medication that would, would help me get through the day, except it numbed me so much, I really could care less about anything, including raising my children. And so I'm dealing with a lot of um, stuff from, from that now that my kids are adults. Um, but I just wonder how you feel. Yeah, is medication great, that's a great question. Yeah. So, you know, what the question is, you know, I'm struggling with this depression, so what have I done wrong? 
you know, what sin is in my life? Jesus and the disciples walking through the village and saw a sick man and said, what did he do or his parents do? He said, nothing. This is to glorify God. You know, the reality is we are fallen beings. There's physical, emotional, spiritual. I get an opportunity to treat a lot of pastors and talk in some churches and stuff. Did Jesus ever tell Luke to lay his black bag down? No. It's not either or. There's physical, there's emotional, spiritual. Did Jesus give power to Luke two by two to go out and heal people with the spoken word of God? Absolutely. So it's not either or. And it's so, the Luke the physician who's traveling and doing the work of a physician. He, he, to the, to the, the truth that had come into that time period of life. They're using... They're using what yeah. God, and God is the author of truth. And so... If our heart breaks and has a heart attack, or if my pancreas breaks and I have a diabetic coma, we don't think it's sin or anything like that to go to a doctor and get some medication. So let's say I get on heart medicine, but I don't go to cardiotherapy, so I don't deal with my choices in life, I don't deal with the responsibility in life, I just want them to give me the cardio medicine. So my choices is everything fried and sweet, my response to the environment is chaos at work, chaos at home, no exercise, and just double my medicine. Let's take the other side for a lot of people I see and for people probably in here. Yeah. I'm not making bad choices. My BMI, my spiritual life, my walk with the Lord, and I'm still having a heart attack or I'm having depression. My response to the environment, I'm in prayer, I'm in you know, my small group, I'm living for Christ, but I still got a heart attack or I still have depression. So what is it? That is a neurogenetic predisposition, a fallen body. So it's, we can be doing things right and still have the response of the fallen world. But here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to take that and discourage us and you're no good. You are shame. You are a failure. You have something in your life that you're hiding that sin and everything. And so he paralyzes us and takes us out of community of worship, and he's got us. I truly believe Satan can't take our salvation, but he can render every one of us powerless with discouragement. Some people say Paul's thorn in the flesh that was chronic, persistent, nagging. He prayed for relief was gout. I don't think it was gout. I think it was depression. You can work even with pain of gout. But when you get discouraged, when you have depression, Satan sets you off on the side. You're powerless. So that's, a great, that's the question that every one of us struggle with. God, why do I have cancer and I'm dying? Why does my young child, why, have, why is my child going home? You know, as the disciples, when they walked by and saw that sick man, what sin did he do? What sin did his parents do? that God may be glorified. Life is unfair, but how we choose to deal with the unfairness on a self-help program of I or die to self and become victorious. I mean, I love AA. I love how the churches embrace, celebrate recovery and everything. That's one of the greatest things that's come along for the medical field to deal with people that are broken in addiction you know, those 12 steps are biblical principles. So you can find, and those 12 steps have 
power of you make the Holy Spirit the higher power and Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But let's say you don't make Christ as your higher power. If you follow biblical principles, you're still going to get benefit from following those biblical principles. But if you want transforming life, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the life I knew I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, the plans aren't for calamity. So that verse recognizes that there's calamity, that the world is not God's kingdom. His kingdom's coming. The plans I have for you, declared the Lord, are for a future and a hope. Future, that I got. But a hope, that's where I want to live right now. Because this nation right now is facing its highest crisis of suicide ever recorded. Generation Z. Generation Z, the 19-year-old, you know, the second leading cause of death in teenagers, accidents number one, suicides number two, and that's growing. Our veterans coming home from war, just across the board. You pick the category, the 40-year-old, 30-year-old, the, you know, whatever, our suicide rates are at the highest. Hopelessness and helplessness are the buzzword for suicide. What is the gospel about? Bringing hope. Bringing hope. Hope. Restoring. Out of ashes comes newness of life. Mm -hmm. So this doing church on Sunday, this going to the neighborhood group, this spending a quiet time talking to the Lord, these aren't check boxes, folks. This is life. Because this is not his kingdom. His kingdom is coming. So good. good. We got time for maybe one more if somebody else has a question. Right here. Go ahead. And then dad watch, watch our time there. Good job. Thanks for sharing. So the question that I have is that when you live with somebody who is clinically depressed, somebody that, um, for lack of better words, kind of withdraws from the family, withdraws from life, from joy, they just don't have a lot. They're, they're just empty. Right. How do you, as somebody that loves that person, help elevate them to the next level so that you can assist in their recovery? You know, I may be diagnosed with cancer, and every day I'm going to be puking and dying, mm. and that loved one, I mean, one of the there is no cure in medicine. I don't care if we're talking about heart disease or diabetes or depression or bipolar or schizophrenia. There's only management. That's all medicine does from the physical standpoint. But to go through that, and it is a sacrificial love. It is. I mean, I think of my mom, Alzheimer's mm. takes about 10 years to do, take the person's life. My dad stayed with my mom those 10 years. Mm. The last year of my mom's life, my dad's automobile gasoline bill for the year was 50-something dollars. All he'd do is go get a haircut and come back. So I've heard my children say, Grandpa can die to self to take care of grandma, then me and my wife are going to work through hard times. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sugarcoat when, you know, you have a loved one that's depressed or has bipolar or schizophrenia or cancer or heart disease that is not painful and dark and, and, and difficult to communicate, but there's where you need the community and the body of the Christ. The church, this is life, folks. We're not just doing Sunday. That's where the community comes around 
and comes into that home. There are times, I mean, I think of one person in our D group, they wouldn't come when D group wasn't at their home. And that, we call it D group, discipleship group, you'll call it neighborhood groups. But when we would go to their home, there was such ministry for that person that at times he would break out of that and come to other small groups and other homes and everything. It's, it's going after him, loving him, but not by ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. Yeah. We need that body of Christ. And, yeah. and, and that's what the community... Th this isn't about church. This is about relationship with a living God and a living flesh and blood people here. And I don't want to diminish medicine. Medicine, I, I mean, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Medicine pay, plays a huge part. You know, people say, well, you know, is that mind-altering? You know, people say, where's God work in Red Sea Miracles? 1949 in Arkansas, in, in Arkansas this, we had no psychiatric medicine. 1949, that's a while back, but it's not 100 years ago, but it's a while back there. At the same time, we had no TB medicine. I truly believe God is the author of truth. God allowed truth to come in in 1950, and we developed some brain medicine, and we developed some TB medicine. We had 5,000 patients in the Arkansas mental health system in the state hospital in 1949. We had 3,000 people in the TB asylum in Boonville, Arkansas. God allowed truth to come into the world and develop TB medicine and antipsychotic and depression medicine. There is no TB asylum in Boonville, Arkansas. And the population in Arkansas is 10 times what it was in 49. Instead of 5,000 patients in the state hospital, there's about 150 people. Now, you could argue there needs to be another 300 in there, but the message is... <laughs> The message is... Especially in Arkansas. <laughs> Especially in Arkansas. <laughs> the message is God uses physical, emotional, and spiritual components that we, we don't just yeah. isolate off the medicine or isolate off the therapy or isolate off, you know, the self-help groups and stuff. Yeah. But the two concepts I still want you to leave with. Heaven's love wraps our shame. Because that's the biggest thing I deal with. When you get shame, failure, hopelessness, and helplessness, the chief outcome of that is I need to die. Everybody else would be better off without me. That's a lie. And the second is small groups. Yeah, so. that's good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for my dad. Uh, thank you for uh, all truth is your truth. Thank you that that applies in every industry in the world in every practice in every field thank you for the honesty and the vulnerability here today of my friends here at north valley and so lord in this time where we receive communion let us remember that you chose to kept keep the scars and uh that you paid a price for us that we can have hope that we can have healing through the name of christ we love you and give you thanks in jesus name amen Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.